when we did the audio book, we also got the consent to just play the audio, which was good for the audio book people, but it made a different experience for the reader. It added authority to the book. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today I am very happy to introduce to you Joel Saul Seahigh. Now, Joel is the author of the book called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, which was published in 2021 by Avery. Now, while Joe is is a money expert, and he's got an incredible background as a financial advisor. I mean, for 16 years as a financial advisor, where he represented American Express and Ameriprise in the media. He also was the money man at Detroit television station WXYZ, appearing twice weekly His advice has appeared at Bride Magazine, Best Life, and Child Magazines, LA Times, Chicago Sun-Times, and the list goes on and on. He's also appeared online in, in 200 different places, all talking about money management. But guess what, listeners? Today, Joe isn't going to tell us about money management. Joe is going to share about his journey to authorship from thinking about writing a book to going all the way through the process of landing an agent and a book deal and having a mega success. And be sure to listen to the end because Joe, right before our interview, received a tremendous new accolade that he will share with you at the end. So be sure to listen closely because you will hear a lot of incredible guidance to help you succeed with your book too. Enjoy. So Joe, welcome to the Author's Corner. Well, I'm only here for one reason, Robin. I'm announcing my retirement because once you make it to the Author's Corner, you're done. (laughs) What's a higher mountain? Oh my gosh, there you go. You've reached the (laughs) pinnacle, Joe. I made it. (laughs) Well, I am honored. Thank you for that exaggerated compliment. (laughs) Well-deserved. Well, Well, I am just so thrilled to have you here today because as we communicated back and forth beforehand, we were talking about the importance of really understanding the process and how valuable it can be for a first-time author to hear from people who've been there, done that, had great success with their book. And have really walked the talk, if you will, and you know had that journey. And everybody's journey is a little bit different, but I also think that in everybody's journey, there's things to learn about what to do, what not to do <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> at every stage. So before we get into 
the how, though. I'd love for you to just share with our listeners a little bit about the what. And what I mean by that is tell us about your book, Stack. And I believe you have maybe a little news to share with us about your book, but tell us a little bit about the book first. Oh, I do. And it's hot off the press too. So I, I get to say it here before I've really, but frankly, I haven't even told our community this yet. <laughs> but yeah, it's, Stacked was a labor of love. I thought about 12 years ago that I had a personal finance book in me. And being a fan of personal finance books and reading a lot of them, I think that's where, frankly, I think very strongly that's where any author should start, even though this is my first book. I feel that way about a lot of products I've helped clients in the financial space, people that have created stuff. You really you get to know the landscape first and know where you sit so that you know exactly what type of audience you're going to have for this book. But there were a lot of financial projects out there, but being somebody who's had a podcast for the last 12 years, I've interviewed most of the big authors in my space. So you start to see the areas. The problem I had though, Robin, the book I was writing that took me 10 years to work on by myself was not that book. Like I wasn't actually doing the thing that I just told you right now. Right. I was, I, yeah, my stacking Benjamins is all about the fact there's 330 million people in the United States. That's the name of my podcast, Stacking Benjamins. 330 million people in the United States, and nearly half of us have said in some of these big studies out there that we cry about our money. Uh -huh. And so while people like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and Jim Cramer are really these people that are gurus that we all kind of look up to. And I feel like we take our finances to them and we're shaking and then they tell us we're doing it wrong. I think there's half of the world cries about their money because of the fact that they they just want to know that they're going to be okay. And they don't want somebody judging them about their money. So our show is much more about, you can do this. Let's stop crying. Let's have some fun. Let's make it light. Let's make it entertaining. Most of the stuff, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, um, uh, blow yourself up metaphorically if you get it wrong. If you don't open up the Roth IRA correctly, if you invest in the wrong thing, you'll right, learn from right. it and you'll move on. So it's going to be okay. <laughs> I wasn't writing that book though. I was writing a Me Too book that was the same as all these other books. Ah. And, it, it, and it was stopping and starting and stopping and starting because I didn't have a process. Mm -hmm. So I get it done. And I've always believed that no matter what I work on, that I should have alpha, alpha people. I should have alpha listeners to my mm -hmm. podcast. I need alpha readers that are people that are kind of Gordon Ramsay. I work really well with these people. They're just going to be a little blunt about what's, I know they love me. Right, right, I know right. they have my back, <laughs> but I want them to be just completely honest. And that person, number one is my spouse, Cheryl. So I hand the book to her and I'm like, Hey, I'm done. Took me 10 years, finally finished it. And she reads it for like, I don't know, 20 minutes. And she goes, this sucks. <laughs> this is horrible. And she was exactly right. Yeah. And what's cool was I was able to take that book and I was able to repurpose it into a blog post and more straight on factual things. So I used all that stuff, but I was really disappointed. Well, a few weeks later, to make a short story really long, we're out in Portland <laughs> at this wonderful bookstore that I'm sure a lot of, of your listeners especially know about Powell's, right? I'm at Powell's like one of the great bookstores on earth. And I'm wandering through a bookstore because I always get these great synapse ideas when I go into mm -hmm. sections that have nothing to do with finance. Right. And I walk into the kids section and I see the Hardy Boys detective manual. 
And Robin, when I was in fourth grade, I carried this thing around everywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> because, because right at the beginning of it, it says this book was written with the help of a real live retired FBI agent. I remember telling my oh, little brother, Tony, I I'm like, thought about that. Yeah, this book is legit. I'm telling my brother, <laughs> we studied this book. We will be detectives. So like my dad goes to work and it's a muddy day and we were out there looking at the tire tracks because it says in a chapter, oh, look at the yeah. tire tracks. Sure. And then my mom, but you know, my mom touches a door handle. We're over there with the tape because you don't know where mom's <laughs> been and we got to get the fingerprints. <laughs> but I remembered how lovingly that was. And I know how playful my podcast has been. And all of a sudden the synapse fired. And this was a big aha I had, which is really to get out of your own space, whatever space you're listening, you know, to to, to the show, get out of your space and look at other spaces and what really turns you on and see if there's a fusion there. Because immediately I thought my podcast is campy. If I had a campy book, that's like the Hardy Boys detective manual about money that adults carried around as lovingly as I did in fourth grade, that book. (laughs) Yeah. That would be great. So, but I didn't have structure yet. I didn't have a structure. So, when when I got home, my mom. I want to uh, stop you for a second. Yes. I stop right. you for Sorry. A second. Just because I'm seeing a teaching point here, and I like to interrupt so our listeners can really get the gold that you just shared. Because what I heard is, you correct me if I'm wrong, but what I heard is it was the first time you were actually thinking about the reader's experience. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. I didn't want to write a book. I wanted to experience that book. And to your point, I'd never read it. I'd never seen it anywhere. There you go. And yeah. so that's the really important thing because if somebody's reading a book and they think it sucks, in my experience, because I've read a lot of books that I think suck, and then we fix them. <laughs> and my clients will tell you this is true. Uh, <laughs> But the biggest mistake that people make from the get-go is they're not thinking about what the reader's experience is going to be reading it and what kind of experience they want to create for the reader. And so to your point, and then when you start looking through that lens, then you can write a readable book. So it's fabulous. Yeah. No, it was fabulous. And all of a sudden, too, it became so much easier to write. When I thought mm-hmm. about writing stuff that I want to read. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember we were living in for a month and, and we could talk about the process later, but my wife was saying, she's listening to me. I'm out on the balcony, this condo we're in, and I'm making myself laugh. Like I'm just cracking up. She's like, I'm listening to you laugh as you're typing away. And that, wow, like how much more fun than that 10 year slog that I'd done. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't have a structure. So I didn't have a structure. Uh I came home and my mom, I was 50 at the time. And my mom finally trusted me with all that stuff in the attic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the fourth place father-son bowling tournament trophy. You know, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why I couldn't have that at 45, but I couldn't. (laughs) You had to be 50. (laughs) But the, the, the Cub Scout Wolf Guide was in there, Robin. And and I'm looking through this thing, and you know, we talk a lot about gamification, a way to lower the temperature in personal finance is to gamify it. Mm. If you turn it into a game, then you're not going to be so uptight and it's okay to lose and I can go try something. And the Cub Scouts were gamifying things 
way before these app creators now that we have that gamify everything. And I look, they're not chapters, they're achievements. And at the end of every chapter, every achievement, you have all these places where you show that you can do these things. You don't just read about it. You show that you can do it. And then there's a place for your mom to sign to verify that you did the work. My show, by the way, is live from my mom's basement. My podcast is. So it fits right in that there's a spot for your mom to sign and then you get a badge. And so we created all these badges and their achievements, not chapters. And we start with the easy achievements. We go to the tough ones. So between the campiness that kind of led me then to the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. So it was funny as we were taking this book around to different places with this awesome agent, I was telling the story I just told you over and over. Every pitch ended with, so what I want to do is I want to take the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, combine it with the Cub Scout Wolf Guide, but make it for adults about money. What do you think? And I was surprised that like the screen didn't go black because it was in the middle of COVID. I was surprised they were like, yeah, hey, don't call me. We'll call you. Like I thought people were going to no, know everybody was into it. It was really exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic. I also noticed you're having some fun with your chapter headings. The one that really jumped out to me was chapter one, one magical idea to rule them all, <laughs> alluding to another book. <laughs> yes, maybe a slightly more famous book. Maybe. <laughs> My favorite is chapter six, which alludes to another book as well, which is what to expect when you're <laughs> investing. Bravo. Because <laughs> my wife and I have twins. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, they are 27 now, but you know what, Robin? We lived on that book when they were born. I mean, that book was just that yes, was, I, yes. I I lived on mine too when, when I had my kids. Yes, and some of them are even spicier, but I think we're just gonna right. <laughs> we're just gonna <laughs> let the listeners go peruse. If nothing else, people read the table of contents. If you're not laughing by the end of <laughs> by the end of Joe's table of contents. Then I don't know. I think there's no hope. <laughs> it was an adventure, but seriously, right. we're just making ourselves laugh now, right? I mean, that was yeah, that was yeah. the goal. What would crack me up? What would move me on to the next thing? I think about Netflix and being bingeable. I think about books that I've mm. liked, and mm. about how I get to the end of the chapter and I just want to go on to the next one. Like, what yeah. would make me do that? And I, I think getting a little creative on the chapter titles helps people into this, and it also, again proves to people this is not going to be for money geeks. This is not going to be Dave Ramsey. This is not going to be Susie Orman. This is going to be a different experience and I need to show that all the way through the book. Absolutely. So when you had the concept and you had this vision in your mind, what was the next roadblock that you ran into? I love this question because if I had learned this earlier, I would be way further along the path than I am now. I've been surrounding myself the last several years with great coaches, and I feel like surrounding yourself with a better group of people is the answer to a lot of your questions. And there's a group I went to, started going to called Strategic Coach. And Mm -hmm. in my Strategic Coach meetings, they encouraged me to do this. My first 10 years, I, Mr. Do-It-Yourself, I want to learn this myself. I want to do it myself. And then when I realized my book was broken, Robin, I then went, okay, how do I write a good book? Strategic coach taught me that is the wrong question. We all ask, how do I do this is the wrong question to ask. Ask who knows how to do this. Ah. 
is the magical, magical answer. Mm. And I was, I was reading another book. And it's a book, and I'm not going to get the, the author's name because I'm, I unfortunately don't have it right in front of me, but the book is called, I believe, Who Thought This Was a Good Idea? And it's uh, President Obama's communications director book. And I was reading it, and it's hilarious. No matter where you are politically, there's very little about politics. It's just behind the scenes life of a communications director. Well, at the end, she talks about her book deal. And she talks about how she sat for two years on a book deal and did nothing with it. And then she realizes she's working at Vice now. She's well beyond the White House. She's working at Vice and she's surrounded by all these great authors. And I thought, holy cow, Robin, I interview at least two authors a week. These people are brilliant. (laughs) I know people. Why wouldn't I, as a first-time author partner, was don't get me wrong, I want to write the book, right? Right, right. But I'm okay with writing half of it. And if I <laughs> and if I want to sell this project between my platform and the experience of somebody who's been there before is going to make a publisher feel a lot more comfortable with my project. Sure. Yeah. And and I get to see how it works. So I called up this woman, Emily Guy Birkin, who has five books that are on every Barnes and Noble shelf. They have all sold. She's incredibly respected. And I know she never gets to do things that have a sense of humor, that are a smart book, but with a sense of humor. But she had, she's hilarious. So I... <laughs> So I asked her if she'd meet me on Zoom and I just said, hey, I've got this thing. I want to take the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, yada, yada. And I tell her the idea and I said, so would you want to do this? And she's like, I'm in, like immediately. (laughs) I'm in. Let's do it. And uh, so asking who was a much better question. So now I have a co-author. Well, the same thing. The next roadblock is, okay, what do we do next, right? Do we just create the book? I decided, and I don't know if this is good advice or not, you probably know better than me, but I know a bunch of people who already have published books and I know they have agents. And I thought, well, maybe I don't get an agent right away, but maybe agents will give me some good advice about how to approach this because I don't know. Again, Mm -hmm. I could ask how to approach this, but then I go, I know people that know people in the book industry. So I asked three good writers that three other writers Emily had done her deals, by the way, without an agent. Uh, oh, so wow. she had really? just okay. gone direct yeah. yes, wow. to, to Adams, which became part of uh, Simon & Schuster and now is part of what Penguin Random House. I have trouble following the, oh, yeah. okay. the bouncing ball. But yeah, she, <laughs> she, had, she had worked directly. And I knew that at some point I would need an agent. Well, I've interviewed Gene Chatsky from the Today Show several times. Gene mm-hmm. has become a friend. I asked Jean, among other people, Farnoosh Tarabi was another. She's very respected in our space. Kristen Wong, who's written for The Financial Diet, were the three authors I went to. And they all recommended I talk to their agents. Yeah. And so the agent immediately had me pitch the project. And so even before we wrote any sample chapters or anything, uh-huh. we, we signed with an agent, which I know is uncommon yes. and it's kind of backwards, but I think it's still just the magic of asking who. Mm-hmm. Ask mm-hmm. who? And Heather was like, not only do I want to help with this project, Heather Jackson, our agent, do I want to help with this project? I want to sign you to do this project with you. And then Heather helped us make those sample chapters so much better than yeah. they would have been without her. Yeah, it was yeah, she's it, terrific. Wonderful. Yeah. And Heather is a very, as you know, Heather and I are friends as well. So I had the opportunity to work with her as an agent in another client of mine. And Heather is terrific because she's very hands-on. You know, she's she's very 
some agents just want to get the proposal when it's done, read it over and go pitch it. And But other agents are more hands-on and willing to walk that road with you for a little longer. And Heather has definitely demonstrated that. And she she only takes projects she's super passionate about, which I think most agents thought you could say that. Oh, yeah. She was, really I mean, best. obviously she was very excited, but just to see her excitement spurred me on too. She's yes. like, the world yeah. needs this book. So let's yeah. do it. Fantastic. Well, that's that's so exciting. So that's another great example of who, not how. Anything else to say on who, not how? How do I put these chapters together? I again went to who has put together chapters in weird ways that might be a fit for us. And again, looking outside and believe it or not, I was at a bookstore uh, during this process. We'd actually even already started and I was thinking still differentiation and what can we do differently? And I'm, I'm in this bookstore on Amelia Island near Jacksonville on vacation. It's this lovely little, I love independent bookstores. Uh, I'm sure everybody listens to podcasts, <laughs> loves independent bookstores. Let's just throw in here. Obviously the key to your success is going to physical bookstores. So ev- so listeners, <laughs> don't just buy your books online, walk into a store, <laughs> oh. especially an independent bookstore, because you do, there's all kinds of uh, delightful surprises there. Yeah. It's the wandering yeah. You know, going back to that initial of J.R.R. Tolkien, all who wander yeah. are not lost, right? right I mean, right. wandering <laughs> Powell's, wandering. I wish I remembered this name of this bookstore on Amelia Island, but I saw Howard Stern's book, Robin, and all Howard Stern's book was transcripts. It was every chapter was just transcripts of his interviews. Right. Now, that sounds boring for, a, I don't want to create that book. But I have this podcast that has over 70 million downloads that Bankrate had just called the best podcast in the United States for personal finance. Kiplinger did back in 2017. We've won a lot of awards for this work we did. I have all this work. So how again, all of a sudden, Howard Stern, believe it or not, becomes my who. And at the end of every chapter, I asked my friends who are these people I interviewed that did these great interviews on the topic. So Emily and I write these chapters about how to do it. You get your badge, but we end every chapter now with a short excerpt of an interview from the Stacking Benjamin show with a different expert that's not the two of us mm. that kind of seals that this is important. This is why this is important and some other expert besides us. So it does a few things. It's a fun read for the reader. By the way, when we did the audio book, we also got the consent to oh. actually just play the audio. Oh, nice. Which was good for the audiobook people, but it made a different experience for the reader. It added some authority, I think, to the book. It also built in the marketing team because now all these people are in the book and they want to market that they were in the book. Yep. So that helped us as well. And it promotes your podcast. Exactly. Yeah. It was another wow, really, like really looking smart. outside. I love that. I love that. That's really smart. Another thing you talked about was, or you mentioned, was setting reasonable goals. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. This is my favorite thing to talk about when it comes to writing, because I'm fascinated by the process. And what I love about your show, Robin, is when people really dive into the process, because we're all busy people. And how you carve out time to make these wonderful things I hear these authors talk about on your show all the time, 
like to me is the magic because finding that time to sit down and dedicate to it. I again just started devouring other people's stuff, ask who. So obviously, like a lot of people, I started with the Stephen King book. Oh, yes. With- that is a fantastic on writing by Stephen King. Started cutting all my adverbs. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Joe, you're now my favorite person. (laughs) (laughs) And if you ask my team, they're going to be like, oh, God. (laughs) Now she's gotten even more ammunition. Joe says so, too. (laughs) It is is wonderful. But I also really like the book that one for the money. Janet Ivanovich. Oh, oh, the mystery writer. Oh, yes, yes. of course. Yes, she's terrific. The, yeah. Yeah. Pulpy, fun stuff. But she mm. has a wonderful book about how she writes. Oh, and yeah. so her idea is about narrative and about you need to read a lot. You need to read a lot oh, yeah. to know where you sit. And But she also get, gave shorthand. She's like, listen, if you don't try to read, also watch a lot of movies. Like It's not going to be as good as reading a lot, but if you watch a lot of movies and you get this idea of story and pace, and it's funny because, Robin, my book is a finance book, but I'm very worried about story and pace mm-hmm. because it yeah. still has to be entertaining and people got to get through it. So yeah. how do I keep it quick and moving and fun and light? When we started talking about mutual funds, Emily has this wonderful, wonderful story about how it just seems so boring. But when you think about the snakes on a plane actor, Samuel L. Jackson, right? (laughs) And Samuel Jackson said, there's MF snakes on the MF plane. He really likes those two words. So Emily goes, so what we're going to do, we describe mutual funds, which seems very boring. We're going to tell you about them, but we're just going to call them MFs. And now we have story and we have pace around this part that would have been really boring. And all of a sudden it's this entertaining thing. And now I'm learning about mutual funds, you know, when they take a bunch of stocks and put them in this MF. Yeah, it's a good time. But anyway, uh, my lesson on writing, though, the big lesson for me was from Gail Carriger. I've heard a science fiction writer, Gail Carriger wrote somewhere, and I don't even remember where it was. She's a lot like I am where I could take an hour and say that I'm going to write for an hour and I won't write anything. I will find social media. I'll do whatever. I can put the blockers on my computer. I'll use my phone. I'll do whatever. I will not write. But if you give me a word count mm-hmm. and I can't get up until I finish that word count. Word count worked for me. And what Gail said, and I will echo because it it certainly worked for me, just start writing, pick a number. For me, it was 2,000 words a day. When I got to 2,000, I stopped because I want to make sure I do it again. Then, Even if I'm rolling, I stop. Mm -hmm. If I'm rolling, then I'm anxious to get back into it the next day because I'm like, ooh, I'm right at that good part. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if I'm struggling, I just struggle across the finish line. Thank goodness I reached 2,000. There were days when I kept checking the word count like every seven minutes. Right. And there were days when I'm like, <laughs> I'm, what am I I'm, at now? Oh, yes. what, 1,190. Okay. What am right. I at now? 1,193. Okay. <laughs> yes. You've been there. Yes. 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 So word count really, really, really worked for me. And 2,000 words a day. Now you think on those bad days, your words really suck. 
for first time authors out there, I'll tell you this, and I've only written this one book, but I thought there were days when my words just completely sucked. And there were other days when I'm laughing my head off on that outside of this condo we're at in Vermont. My wife is hearing me laugh my head off. I think those words are brilliant. This to use a financial term, the standard deviation between your good days and your bad days is far less than you think it is. Right. <laughs> I went back to those bad days, Robin, and they were no near as they weren't anywhere close to as bad as I thought they were at the time. And I went back to those brilliant days and they were not very brilliant. Yeah. Like they were not that great. So pick a number and do that number of words. So the majority of the book, I did that four days a week. The majority of my half of the book was done in four and a half weeks. I was well on the way after a very, very short time. It was incredibly surprising. Yeah. Well, and that was your first draft. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's important to note too, because I love that you said this and with the word count, because doing the math, right, 2000 words a day. And I am terrible at math, so this is going to be awful. But then you would write 60,000 words in a month, which would be way more than content than you would need, right, for your half of the book. But what people also, I think, fail to recognize is the word count of your first draft, like you're going to throw away a lot of those words. Yeah. So you need to overwrite it in a way, right? You need to. So you ended up with probably 30,000 usable words. Yeah. I had already written some. We'd done the sample chapters at a time, so we had extra stuff. Oh, right, for the proposal, sure. Yeah, yeah. we ended up, Robin, to your point, we had a contract for 80,000 words, mm-hmm. and we our first draft was 120,000 words. So we had to cut a third of the book. Yeah, and you were able to. That was really exciting. And it made it better, I bet. It was hilarious because Emily's been through this before, right? <laughs> So again, asking who really was great. So every day as we're editing to get the book down, Emily's coming to the table going, let's cut this, let's cut this, let's cut this. And I'm like, no, no, that's golden. That's gold. We can't cut. She's like, we got to cut. We got to cut. And finally, we started with tease each other back and forth. But one day she shows up and we're on a Zoom call. And you know how you've got your name at the bottom of the Zoom call? Emily's changed her name to Emily Stone Cold Bitch. Guy Birkin. Because <laughs> she oh. knows, because she knows I'm going to hate her at the end of right. this one because she's going to propose like the worst cuts yet. Oh, man. I want to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I could not stop laughing. Like, I'm, I've got my coffee. I log in and here's Emily with her new name. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a bad day. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's a bad day. She's not playing today. <laughs> I think it was Samuel Johnson. I think it goes all the way back to Samuel Johnson. I think he was the one who said you have to kill your darlings, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, When you're writing. And that still holds true today. And maybe even more so because people's attention spans are a lot smaller and people tend to be. It's easier to lose your reader to distraction. So, like the things you were saying about keeping it, having good pace and making it entertaining and not just informative is really crucial. Now, let's now, I think this is a perfect opportunity for you to share with our listeners, because I don't believe you shared with our listeners the big- Oh, we didn't. The big news. We've made them wait all this time. I just- So, so, (laughs) 
I think the proof is in the pudding here, Joe. So let's let's hear what we what you just found out about your book. What's really cool because my book came out a year ago. And you know, we did all of the work. We of course had all the promotional stuff last year. I did a 40 city book tour, which is as COVID was abating, which is another, maybe another discussion (laughs) at some point. (laughs) But now I'm really starting to go into marketing phase two which is talking to companies, speaking tours, doing that type of thing about and the book. But but you can see with the marketing of the book, while the book sold well, it's starting to fade. You see the numbers now because we're a year in, it starts to fade. And just two days ago, CNN came out with a list of the 15 personal finance books you need to read in 2023. Just the perfect timing shot in the arm, Robin, for the book. It was number one on that list. Number one. Yeah. Number one, not just on the list, but number one on the list. So what a huge achievement and congratulations on that. That is so exciting. I feel like I've got it. I don't know the author. Often it's a small community and you kind of know who's going to write this. I don't know the author. I feel like I have to send her 10 bucks. <laughs> send her a book. <laughs> well, apparently she's read it because she apparently, was quoting things from yeah, the book. She yeah. Give it to a friend. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my big news and I'm super excited. It's it's awesome. The book has some legs, Robin, which is wonderful. And I think that goes to, you know, a lot of the time people, I deal with business authors a lot. You deal with business authors, of course, a lot. And I think a lot of business authors just think this is a calling card and yeah, I've got a book. And certainly a lot of people don't read the book, but building a book that is more than a calling card that is more of your legacy, that's something that stands with with you or without you, I think is just such a richer experience that I would not do this a different way. Like I, I just heard from Strategic Coach, something that I frankly don't believe, which is have somebody ghostwrite your book for you. Mm. If you're horrible at writing, maybe if somebody helped you through it, certainly Emily helped the heck out of me, uh-huh. right? But also Janet Ivanovich helped me. Stephen King, learning a little bit about how this stuff works. Help me. There's so many resources out there. I don't know. Making something you're proud of is uh, is a good thing. Yeah. And I have to say, I think that for the most part, there is something that you get and that the reader gets when the author writes the book and probably with help also, right? Sure. Uh, especially if you're not a real seasoned writer, because even a good writer doesn't necessarily know how to write a book. You know, if you can write great articles or or short stories, doesn't mean you can write a full length book. It's a different skill set. But I think that the key is if you are going to use a ghostwriter, because it's true, some people they just either shortage of time or talent or both. There's just no way it's going to happen if they don't have a ghostwriter. And I think then the key is that you have to be involved, and there better be more than five hours of interviews to extract a book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> probably looking yeah. more like 30, 40 hours of interviews and really being involved, rolling up your sleeves, being hands-on, doing hands-on edits, adding your own stuff into the material that's been written so that your voice and your deeper thoughts do come through that maybe the interviewer couldn't have thought to ask you. I think that's where a big gap is in ghostwriting. If the author is two hands off, then they don't get that opportunity to have the revelation of what you didn't know that you know, and then putting that in the book. 
That's interesting because, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about some of my favorite interviews from last year and these people had books and I'm sure that they were ghost written. I mean, just thinking about who they were, one of my favorite books, live, one of my favorite interviews from last year was Daniel Lamar from Cirque du Soleil, the uh, oh, board yeah. member and longtime CEO and talking about the circus and creativity and lightening up. And it was a fantastic interview, but I don't think he's got time to write the book that came out, but it has him all over it, Robin, mm-hmm. to your point, mm-hmm. man, it lived and breathed him. When I interviewed him, the stories were completely him and told in very close to the same way I had read them in the book. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times what people just need is, is that jump start to just get the basics of the ideas down with a ghostwriter. And then they can come in and add the flourish and put more of themselves in it. But sometimes I just think it just doesn't work at all. I'm smiling because again, ask who, not how, right? Yeah, ask exactly. Who. Surround yourself with a who, a good ghostwriter. And yeah, yeah. right. And somebody who's going to work as a collaborator and not just take it from you. I I think that some people might think that they want a ghostwriter, but they really want a collaborator who writes. (laughs) If it's anything like my experience, it makes, it just makes the process more fun. Having Emily there and we're sharing jokes and Emily and I, in interviews we've done together, Emily has said, I was her alpha reader. She knew I was going to read her chapters that she wrote first and she was just trying to make me laugh. Yeah. So the whole MF joke was really just for me. And then my jokes back to her, what to expect when you're investing, which I came up with, that was to make her laugh, you know? (laughs) And so it just made the whole process so much more fun. And I've heard from writers and you have way more than I have being industry, just what a slog it can be. And it certainly is a marathon, but, um, but it was a fun marathon. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, I I can't say it's never painful, right? (laughs) I mean, you, you know, but you can laugh through the pain for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cutting a third of the book. Not good. Some, d- some days trying to read those 2000 word numbers. Not good. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not uh, always fun, but, but yeah, I think that absolutely can be an enjoyable experience and should be something that you enjoy because it really is. It's a wonderful opportunity to, to not just share your expertise and get the value, the massive value that you have inside of you to a mass market. But I think it makes you a better expert. Did you have that experience? And if so, how? I did have that experience, but it wasn't just from the book. It was also from the marketing that comes after the book Mm. because learning to condense your messaging into succinct talking points is something I think that gets honed through fire, right? Because mm-hmm. the early interviews we did, I kind of stumble through it and be like, well, this is kind of the essence of the book. And now, like today, I opened up with 330 million people in the United States. Half of us say we cry about our money. This book is to make you not cry about your money. Like that <laughs> took a year. Right. <laughs> but what's funny is, is that sincerely is the essence. Like I wasn't coming up with clever marketing or, Mm -hmm. Hey, this works. That is the essence of this project. And it truly is the essence of what I'm about. You can see it throughout my career. That's what I'm about. And so 
But being able to write a book that put all these thoughts over a 16-year financial planning career, then 14 years in financial media, putting that together into one place, and then having to talk about it over and over made me continually question and hone that, why do I do this? Mm. And yeah, the marketing was really a big piece of that though too. I love that you said that because I've never heard anyone share that specifically. That piece made them a better expert and better at communicating the value, but it really totally makes sense. And and I'm sure that that's true for anyone who puts themselves through that fire. And it's such an important piece uh, if you really do want your book to be known, if you really do want to secure that legacy, that marketing piece is, is the key. The marketing piece too, the hard thing for me sometimes, because even though I come across as a huge extrovert, I'm going to have to take an hour nap after we talk, Robin. I love right. you, but but I am like a lot of writers, not as extroverted as I seem. And so marketing and reaching out to people I don't know and asking them to promote this thing that I love is very difficult. But I had to keep reminding myself that I'm already at no, and all I can do is offer. And if they say yes, then that's great. Then I'll go and I'll try to be the best guest for them and help them as much as I can. And we can collaborate to make better stuff. And I had to keep reminding myself that. And that made the marketing piece easier. It still wasn't as good as it could have been. But you know what? It was enough for me. Truly, the thing that was a bad move that I would tell people not to do as much as I did, I did it for the podcast. The 40 City Book Tour, I really did more for the podcast, getting to know these people who listen to my voice all the time and seeing them (laughs) face to face. But when I've got a Barnes & Noble with an average, we average 35 people per event, you're going to sell 35 people equals 12 books, everybody. I'm just going to tell you. Every, Every city, 35 people, 12 books sold. 40 times 12 ain't gonna do it. Like that is not going to do it. No. Now, the, How the about pe- a podcast tour? <laughs> Pod, podcast tour, Robin. It, book number two, podcasts sell books. Yes. Because you spend more time, you get great conversation back and forth. Listeners like they are today are like a fly on the wall. And they're like, oh, I want to see this thing, right? Yeah. And, and if you do a good job of honing being a good guest and really helping the podcaster create a great episode, then podcast. And I got that advice too. That's another who, not how. A guy, Ramit Sadie is his name. He's got a huge book in our space that you may have seen called I Will Teach You to Be Rich, one of the best names mm-hmm. in personal finance. Right. And uh, Ramit's made this big brand, but he, I was interviewing him on Stacking Benjamins and he's like, okay, you're getting ready to launch your book. Let's take half an hour. And by the way, people around you will give you this. So if you have anybody around you, it was wonderful that he even said that. So he took half an hour. He's like, listen, podcast, podcast, podcast. You can do print interviews. That's great. It'll build expertise. It won't sell any books. You can do face-to-face. You're not going to sell any books, but those people have megaphones. They're your biggest fans that come out and they will tell other people. So it will indirectly get the word out about you, your expertise, who you are, but it won't sell books. Podcasts will sell books. Mm-hmm. And speaking engagements will sell books. <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's, I always say that I think with the speaking engagement, they enjoyed the talk, which they probably will. They want to take you home with them is what they really want to do. But that's kidnapping. So they're <laughs> going to have to buy your book. It almost reminds me, Robin, of the, uh, of the Book of Mormon. What I love is that <laughs> in the middle the Church of Latter-day Saints, you know, bought the advertising in that and said like, you know, hey, you saw the play, the book is better. 
Like it's, 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 it's so wonderful. Right. (laughs) All right, Joe, our time has flown by here. So I am going to throw out to you my signature last question, which since you've listened to a few episodes, I don't always remember to ask it. So maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. But the last question is, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? Man, I thought about this and I really, I didn't know we were going to talk about the word count stuff. So I really wanted to make sure we got that. One question that I think is always important when you're fighting through uncertainty with your money, that also uncertainty for authors out there is you have this voice in your head saying that I'm afraid and I can't do it. Mm. And I come from a long line of people that are afraid of a lot of stuff. And Nike has had this wonderful catchphrase for a long time is just do it. But I have a poster that they had from the mid 1980s when I was in high school that said, feel the fear, but do it anyway. It was before just do it. And obviously they made that more succinct, but for me, feel the fear, but do it anyway. I had to do that, Robin, all the way through this process. I had to feel the fear and still move on. And I would just encourage everybody to have a mantra like that and just do the next thing. Don't think about the full thing, just do the next thing and you'll be okay. Great advice. And a nice cap, a cherry on top, a long interview of lots of great advice. So it's long, but not long enough, it seems. But anyway, Joe, this has been wonderful. Thank you once again for being with us here on The Author's Corner. Well, thanks a ton. And I'm retired now, right? I'm done. I can't do any better. Okay. I guess you just have to sit around and write now. Oh, that would be heaven. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 